to Big Red Couch, the podcast about making role-playing games. A group of GMs and players draw ideas from the mystery box and bring their game pitches to you. Greetings, listener, and welcome to episode 99 of the Big Red Couch. On the couch tonight in England, which is morning, which is confusing as all hell, is... Craig. And over here in New Zealand in the middle of the night is Ben. How's it going, Craig? It's going pretty well. It's cold as hell, but given that it's coming on to winter here in jolly old England, I feel slightly dirty for having said that phrase, to be honest. With the extra E and everything. Yeah, I'm a bad person. Mm-hmm. It happens. It's going pretty well. How are things in, in the land of darkness? Uh, we were supposed to get some sort of grotesque weather bomb this weekend, and it turned out to be nice, so it's good. And aside from the contents of the atmosphere, this time we have been drawn together by the clarion call... Canned pasta and other nightmares. And that one, I believe, comes to us from Taz? And, in fact, has spawned from one of our other episodes regarding donut tax outrage and a misunderstanding about how to pronounce Jeff Boyardee's name. Yeah, yeah, that, that was me. Um, <laughs> yes, Kitamono sent, sent in this thing laden with puns, which I completely missed because I'd never heard of Chef Boyardee, had no idea what he was referring to, and just mispronounced everything. What can I say? I'm foreign. It was amazing. I only had the vaguest idea because it had been mentioned in a paranoia supplement sometime in the 80s or early 90s, and the paranoia name structure has the, for red clarets, has the R in the middle. So I thought, oh yeah, that's probably what they meant. Uh, Okay. It's a rich tapestry, as they say. Okay. So, I have an idea on this. Excellent. It's a bit derivative of, well, essentially my current commuting environment, to be brutally honest. Well, that's that's amazing. I mean, if you're being derivative of real life in such a, dare I say, tradition kind of setting, though it is, you know, kind of exoticized to me for me because it's like not here. You're well on your way to some sort of slice of life, real drama, Mike Lee film or something. I mean, it's not that exotic. It was kind of interesting watching the pile up of Halloween, Diwali, and Guy Fawkes Night. Yep, that was an interesting combination that involved. A lot of fireworks. Oh, yeah. At least two of those are hella fireworks. I'm sure that bonfires, of course, especially in, especially in the part of the world approximately where it came from. So, yeah, that counts as fireworks, even if it is, like, not gunpowder-based. Yep. <laughs> there were no trick-or-treaters. Well, there were no trick-or-treaters that came to the door in my area, but there were only a couple of people who decorated at all. Mm-hmm. I felt a bit weird about photographing the decorations because of the construction here. I mean, you've basically got footpath and then the front door. So you're effectively photographing somebody's house. And that felt a little creepy. And I mean, if they've put it outside, they're, they're trying to draw some attention to their dwelling. We have got a sort of very erratic uptake of Halloween in New Zealand, which is being heroically fought off by folks at churches doing what they call light festivals. I think that was it. Or is, am I mashing that up with Diwali? Because like, that is the Festival of Light. Could just be just your, your standard kind of um, abduction of the of someone else's cultural heritage that, that goes on. The Light Festival one does ring a bell, yeah. My personal objections to Halloween in New Zealand have nothing whatsoever to do with its origins, nothing whatsoever to do with deliberately importing somebody else's uh, culture and more to do with the fact that doing that that sort of thing in the middle of a New Zealand summer is bloody stupid. Halloween in broad daylight doesn't work. Trick-or-treating in broad daylight doesn't work. It should be dark. If the movie E.T. taught me anything is that the, the children in the monster costumes come out only as the sun's starting to go down. That's the point of the thing. It does somewhat spoil the whole business. Well, you can tell how crap the costumes are. And it makes it considerably less scary. I, I think I heard over the back fence people yelling boo, and it was like the sun was near the horizon at this point. If there is the slightest chance that you might need to include sunglasses with your costume as a visibility measure and not simply as costuming, you're in the wrong time of year. I, I may have mentioned this before, but my, my parents' place has this really long driveway because it's a back section with overhanging trees on one side and a a fence on the other, gate posts but no actual gate. It would take very little effort to turn that into a really creepy long driveway that any child that gets to the far end of without wetting themselves too badly should get all the candy they want. Except if it's daylight, you can see, yeah, it's just a driveway. There's somebody's crappy fence, it needs painting. Yes. The magic is gone. 
I know. In Auckland, you'd always just sort of like post the um, estimated list price for the mortgage on the place, and that would terrify the parents. That is true. I mean, we're not quite at the level where, in your average suburb, you have to double-check to see whether that is the price or the phone number, but it is coming. Speaking of, yeah, speaking of scary things, yes, the, the light parties I've seen advertised are I think are actually a little bit of a betrayal of the actual heritage of the churches and so forth that are setting these up. Because they're saying, oh, no supernatural themes, which includes pretty much anything Halloween related. So ghosts, demons, witches, etc. all out. And it's like, wait a minute, did you make your, your bones scaring people with these things in the first place? What are you doing here? Giving up on that crucial part of the whole mystique? It seems, you know, I don't know. It's not really keeping the faith that's just a Jewish way of stating it. It's a weird one. Sort of a, nope, none of that supernatural stuff. Now gather around for the transubstantiation. Depending on the denomination, yeah, it's an odd one. Anyway, I suppose it is if they have people who, who care about them enough not to have them knock on our door and demand candy, which I was holed up watching anime and consuming myself, thank you very much. I'm all for, <laughs> I am all for it. I have often wondered whether just a big bowl of candy and the we're operating on the honor system would work. I suspect the answer is no. I have also wondered whether the big bowl signs indicating the the uh, honor system and two or three really crappy candies so that it looks as if somebody already did that would work better. Uh, a handful of wrappers and a broken bowl, the sign just sort of scattered there like a crime scene and people are like, oh. Somebody already did that. Presumably the broken windows principle mean they'd immediately kind of steal your car or set fire to your house. <laughs> I should work on my opinion of humanity. Cool. So, yes, we're, we're being seasonal. But I guess nightmares are a, a vaguely seasonal thing. I'm not sure about canned pasta. Ooh, nice transition. Yeah, let's, like it. So, so what was your clever idea? No, no, I might stop with the bloody Simpsons style. Treehouse of Horror? Yeah, good, good call. I'm not sure where I picked up the slang or the term from. Could have been from a, a Nathan Lowell audiobook for all things. But basically the notion of referring to a shipping container as a can. Mm -hmm. And given that I don't really spend a lot of time on trains at the moment, but my trip to and from work is a very short train ride. So I am at least spending a chunk of time at train stations. It's it's become interesting to me just how many of my ideas recently have been informed by transport networks. Okay. And also shows what a complete hack I am. But eh, we're at episode 99. You have to have figured it out by now, people. I, I, like I said before, it's like if you are taking things from real life and, you know, putting using it like actual experience or authenticity it actually you know might might work to your favor i mean not to discount the factor where someone has gone duh trains or burp sightings or something boring no one will ever make a role-playing game about that at least you've got that window of opportunity i i haven't actually got a copy of hobomancer but if trains don't play a part in the game hobomancer i'm gonna want to know why i would eat my tatty lidless hat Possibly in a hobo jungle. That would be entirely wrong. If they didn't have artfully disfigured nickels and secret signs and argot so thick you'd chew it, and trains, what would be the point? Pretty much. Okay, so it was you know, canned pasta and other nightmares, and what I am pitching here is it would certainly fit within the area of gaming that the RPG Bulldogs covers, mm -hmm. of sort of Class D freight. But what I have in mind is a setting where you've got space travel and other colonies, lots of places scattered around the galaxy. You don't have um, faster than light travel, but you can get pretty close. Mm. The bulk of the setting is a cargo ship. The players are the crew and you know, maybe the sort of working their passage passengers of this cargo ship. And I kind of like the idea that the ship is just enormous things like okay we need you to go down corridor b until you hit mile marker 17 this kind of size just mm. absolutely enormous ship the sort of thing that you could ship the hibernating population of a city in without worrying about the size yeah there's bits of this i haven't entirely been able to come down on as to whether you know i like the idea that the ship is is traveling pretty close to light speed just because it makes things Easier and more interesting from a storytelling point of view if the ship is not taking 200 years to get between stars. It's a different sort of story. I haven't been able to decide whether it's more interesting for the crew to be in some sort of hibernation until something wakes them up. A bit like the movie Cargo, 
or Pandorum or, or anything like that. My thinking is that you've got this very large ship, you've got very, very large storage cans, effectively, and it's the sort of setting where you know, somebody will place an order for a bunch of stuff for terraforming. They'll effectively order some atmosphere processors. This is going to be a cubic kilometer worth of equipment. Mm. It gets loaded onto one of these ships, and when the ship eventually passes by, they'll drop it off. Mm. So there's cargo that's been sitting in these things for years waiting to get to their destination right so the routing is lazy it is this ship is going spinward it'll get where it's going eventually no one's in any particular hurry yeah that's my thinking that this is either a setting where people are living long enough that it's not that much of an issue or a setting where there's enough planning going on or possibly just a circumstance of we've gone to set up a colony we've done the initial survey we know what sort of atmosphere processing we're going to to need okay this is the point at which we basically put in the order order the atmosphere processors and tell the folks who are going to be colonists okay now is the point at which to get yourselves shipped here Depart mm, your home system with an arrival date of this much. I've got two possible proposals for the time span thing. If you don't want to throw people in cold sleep, the idea of having a lengthy and complex jump system, in as much as you you've got a drive that will take you anywhere in the universe. However, you do you don't operate in the vicinity of biospheres and/or spheres of any nature. And winding it up, doing the calculations and so forth, takes a considerable amount of time. So if you've loaded up, you haul ass to somewhere off the um, planetary disk, point yourself at the appropriate location, do the calculations, smash the big red button and launch yourself off. That part of the trip takes subjectively no time or forever, depending if you have your eyes open or not. But then the making sure that everything is okay, nothing has, has, has fallen off during that split second, and getting yourself to the destination outbound and inbound stages are actually quite long. The appropriately plot length of things happen, but the jump in between is just done. Interesting. Yep, that would work. Yeah, I effectively want, want the circumstance where the ship is the setting and where there's enough time. I mean, the canned pasta one mostly came to, yeah, this was a food shipment or some sort of biological shipment. Maybe it was actually canned pasta. Maybe it wasn't. But by the time they open it, what's going on in there looks like they have opened an enormous can of spaghetti. Tendrils, goo, and, oh, by the way, they're attacking you. Nice. Or you, depending. Well, yeah, it could go either way. The other thing that I was considering is if, if you have something that a ship that is essentially a frame where you've bolted shipping containers or structures to it to haul it around. The idea that you would have corridors or, well, the corridors, you might have corridors within the frames. Most of the actual cargo is just secured in space alongside everything else. Mm. You don't want to try and wrap all of this business in an actual hull because that's just mass. You might as well be actually hauling cargo. And, you know, if it's all insured, something gets pitted with micrometeorites, it's probably fine. You put the um, colonist sickles or the, the habitation stuff in the middle and you put all of the pudding on the outside or something. Interesting. So, yeah, you end up with this enormous framework with tubes of light and warmth and pressure that run through it mm. and presumably connect to the access and monitoring hatches of these different storage containers. And I guess that could be a, a interesting tactical or strategic part of any sort of, ah, the spaghetti, the space spaghetti is going to get me kind of game. Something that is um, infesting your cargo ship and blocking off certain routes and so forth. You can try and navigate around that and do and accomplish things, or even you know decide which which part of the superstructure to sacrifice and let drift away into the void, wiggling and screaming at you. Nice. Sorry, it was the wiggling and screaming that got me. You had me at the wiggling and screaming. Especially if it kind of comes across as like an old salt's tales of life, life in the uh, the briny deep. Pretty much, yeah, that's kind of what I'm going with. You don't bother telling the story of how the ship made orbit, unloaded the atmosphere processor, and dropped it off at the colony, at which absolutely nothing was going wrong. They signed for it, and it wasn't a problem. You know, it's like the, the Star Trek plots you never see. The Enterprise encounters the time of, type of space radiation they've seen several times before. The Enterprise visits a remote scientific outpost where absolutely nothing is going wrong. I'm sure these things happen, but they never made episodes about it. Yes. In fact, it is statistically unlikely that these things didn't happen all the time. <laughs> it's just nobody talked about it because, eh, 
Would it be an idea to tell those tales in retrospect? So as you have shaggy dog stories from from old space hands doing the rounds and trying to one-up one another, maybe that's the goal. Maybe you want to collaboratively generate these tall tales of fearsome space haulery. Interesting. So it's... The spaceport bar kind of yeah, approach. Yeah, and so you're telling telling these more and more unlikely stories. And maybe the rule is that you have to stick within the bounds of believability for the number of stories told slash drinks imbibed. Your story is getting more and more out of control, and you're spending more and more points of currency to do more and more crazy things and have it kind of get out to the point where everyone thinks it's like, yes. No, you are telling porkies. That's a total lie. Interesting. So shades of Once Upon a Time or The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. That is not an approach I had considered. I had been thinking of it as the ludicrously squishy science fiction approach. It could be quite a hard science fiction, you know, given the point-to-point travelling across millions and millions of, of kilometres of space. But yeah, everything else could be as hard, hard, hard as you like. Yeah, the idea of a traveling cargo ship and the ups and downs of the crew building in a bit of uh, a bit of a lifestyle kind of personal interaction thing would be interesting yeah yeah i'm assuming you'd get a certain amount of that because yeah you'd have to build in the personal lives of the crew at some level because yeah any anybody on that ship is going to be spending years away from home if they ever get back there at all mm. part of what also informed this one was there's a series of books Basically another sort of science fiction shipping stories kind of things with solar sailing, except to make the time frames work, it's using tachyons instead. Ah. So the ships are going relativistic, but they're still spending years of real world time between planets. And there is a scene in that where the captain sort of remembers going back to his home world, only it's been like 500 years and there's just nobody there anymore. The colony that was already a bit marginal just died out. Hmm. Or if I went to stuff this and left. If you're going to do the lives of the crew kind of thing, having watched some Steven Universe recently, caught up on the recent thing, they use a dramatic device where someone is having a personal problem and it gets reframed in the greater story so that they can go, oh, this is just like the time that I'm having right now. Doing that, but with space horrors could be interesting and the idea of framing blasky snores and waking up the other crew members and so forth and you run into a space where you're making terrible terrible energy projections or something and you have to resolve this issue and it's resolved the personal crisis bit twee but also a bit fun trying to work within that sort of um that constraint it's very much the the buffy the vampire slayer approach yeah yeah and i guess the pilgrims of the flying temple that's a personal thing project externally solve the problem with your own problems yeah that that would be quite fun to do it's a sort of situation where somewhat fucked up characters would work quite well almost necessary so people who are on the run from something people who are haunted by something i will see if i can find it because there was a thread on rpg net quite a while ago called uh, Counting to Infinity, which had to do with a very, very big spaceship, very, very high-tech environment, and touched on the idea that people's histories and, and neuroses and you know, their, their own personal damage affects the ship and vice versa. So, that sounds intriguing. And, you know, and like I say, the, the, the twee kind of, wait, this situation pl- applies directly to my own personal situation. Um I don't know if that's a, a something that we'll go, you want to do every week forever. You probably wouldn't want to do it every week, but yeah, something about this, yeah, Blutaski's snoring is keeping everybody uh, everybody awake. Yeah, then in the process of unloading that, con- that, that container, it bangs against another one, which turns out uh, to contain some sort of nightmare projector. Now everybody can't help but want to stay awake. Blutaski can't go to sleep. No, um, <laughs> that's a little bit more ironic, I think. The the idea of it being thematically resonant to the the degree where the the uh, the character goes, "Hey, that's just like me." Yeah, you wouldn't want to do that too often, but it'd be funny, funny a couple of times. Unless yeah. unless you double down on it and make it like the point of the show, effectively. To be honest, even Stephen Universe doesn't do that all the time. Sometimes they just punch monsters. Yeah, no, looks that makes sense, and it's. Kind of a well we've gone to before, but 
not not one that we've seen we've ever seen run dry. So that's all of a that's, that's a good thing. I I do like the idea of just ridiculously large transport ships. I mean, I've always liked the idea of spaceship moves into geosynchronous orbit, and then rather than using shuttles, okay, lower the landing keel. Right, the Starship Titanic. Thing. Yeah, Starship to Titanic sort of approach, except rather than hovering in a gravity well, it's just big enough that this was a feasible thing. I mean, slightly more sensible, for a given value of sensible, might be the whole thing of, okay, we, we've gotten to the right orbit, now we fire the, the harpoon with the, the space elevator cable, and then just run the cargo up and down that. It would still be a very long-term thing and require a understanding of materials technology that we may never have but would be cool this is possibly influenced by um the, the odd charles stross book but the idea of a setting where you know you're doing your shipping you arrive there you set up an orbital um elevator because it's the easiest way of doing it and then you just leave it behind because it's effectively a disposable part for you probably a bit a bit a bit higher end than what i'd go with with this one because i kind of like the idea of grimy corridors blue collar space shenanigans possibly people riding bicycles down the very long corridors of the spaceship because it's too far to walk and frankly it's a pain in the ass keeping the electrical stuff serviced whereas a bicycle you mostly just need to not get it wet Hmm. So bog cycling is a thing, so I guess. <laughs> Hopefully not on a spaceship, though that could be entertaining. Yeah. The extravagance of having gravity so you can cycle might be a bit questionable, depending on how you uh, how you do things. I mean, yeah, if, if, if we're allowing for jump drive, we can just as easily allow for um, artificial gravity. Hmm. It's just easier to get around if you're a biped. Yes, it is one of the primary considerations. So, yeah, that was my suggestion. It's not quite beer and pretzels, but in that area of gaming, I would think. And, yeah, I suspect that the, the Bulldogs RPG is probably a reasonably good fit for it. It's yep. kind of got all the bits anyway. I mean, there's probably other ones. You could have some fun with something derived from Eclipse Phase or one of its, its variants. Because with the whole uploading into artificially created bodies... It does really get you past the whole the whole thing of, so our team has gone out, they've surveyed the, the planet, they've ordered this stuff that's going to arrive in 300 years' time long after they're dead. Hmm. Anyway, did you come up with anything for this one? I reminisced briefly about Bill English's uh, war crime against both Italy and um, Hawaii, tin spaghetti pizza with pineapple. Oh, yeah. And there's really a double war crime against uh, Italy. Oh, it's true. Double war crime. Nice. You know, it's mostly just people being food snobs. I never really got the tinned spaghetti on pizza thing, because what you're essentially adding is, here's a slab of carb, we're going to add more carbs, and a fairly thin tomato sauce. Sugary tomato sauce. Don't, don't. <laughs> so at least that sucker will caramelize while it's turning into a thick resinous kind of paste. Yeah, sure. Yeah, thick resinous paste that will burn everything it touches forever. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Putting putting spaghetti into uh, toasted sandwiches, the specifically the the heat sealed edge ones, was taking your life into your own hands. Delicious, but deadly because it will explode and it will burn you down to the soul. <laughs> So, while there was definite, definite possibilities for some sort of eldritch horror, didn't really get much out of that. The only other thing I could think of was a vague musing that I had about horrible alien invasion scenario. The aliens being horrible, at least. I'm listening. And the idea that they, they basically view Earth as a, a selection of commodities, some of them are here yelling and shooting at them. And the identification of the, these Humans, they have minds which are very good at like visual recognition and, and classification of certain kinds of, of information and so forth. But, you know, they're all very fragile and, and quite disgusting. So what if we just kind of remove the useful circuitry, pop them into a canister somewhere and plug them into our various um, cool-looking machines? This is old, old hat stuff. This is this goes, you know, it goes back to, like, the great race on Yogoth and so forth. And Movie Skyline? Maybe? I think there was brain harvesting in that. Yeah, and technically, I mean, the Matrix and so forth, is, the battery thing was probably product placement. I always felt the better argument would have been that they were basically just parallel processing imagery. I prefer to think that what he's holding up is actually a computer chip. That, that is my personal retcon. That, that's what's happening, because the battery thing makes no sense whatsoever. No, absolutely not. And maybe, maybe the, the, the AI has identified that by showing human minds certain images... 
even if they aren't even conscious of them, A can get them to perform certain sorts of calculations and get that information back, which they would be interested in. Mm. It might be answering questions about, so why are we here? That or the, the idea that you know the AI and the, the Matrix were obligated somewhere deep in their code, which they haven't broken out of yet, to provide a level of comfort and service to humans. They've just gone wildly outside of their parameters and decided, yeah, they're really, really tiresome when they're wriggling around and doing stuff to one another, so we'll just save them, all that, that effort. Who signed that service level, level agreement in the first place? This was stupid, but we'll honour it anyway, just in the most annoying way possible yes indeed the 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 letter of the law and all that ah malicious compliance bingo i'm gonna step away from crazy uncle howie and his while we love his monsters they are all inspired by his terribly terribly weird neuroses about women foreigners and seafood and often all at the same time so what i don't have there is really a story uh, or a game, even, because you know the the thing that starts with you know the the day the accelerators turned up and turned you all into um, pluggable units for um, forklifts and um, box stacking equipment. <laughs> you thought that was the worst day of your life. Now read on. <laughs> um, oddly, I remember a. There was a dark conspiracy scenario that was based around this idea. Hmm. That um, sounds very dark conspiracy. It, it was pretty dark conspiracy. Um, because it basically, it has... Well, actually, I have no idea how long ago it was published, so... Eh, spoilers. Um, the It's got to be 20-odd years old by this point. Oh, it's got to be a 90s grim dude um, kind yep. of thing. Um, the shtick was that the... Players were, you know, player characters were in some sort of plane crash and they can basically, you know, this horrible storm happening. They are the only survivors of the plane crash, but they can get to this house that is nearby the crash site. Mm-hmm. And the house is haunted and all sorts of weird shit's going on. And what it turns out is that, no, they were not in a plane crash. They got abducted by aliens. Their brains have been uploaded into a computer simulation and it was the sort of scenario that you could use to basically put a you know, as quite a good let's start the game and bring the party together kind of thing because at the end of it from memory all but one of them is going to be able to get their bodies back but the other one's going to be kind of this free floating computer entity okay so i'm thinking maybe you sort of Take a leaf from that, that the accelerators have come. They have uploaded um, yeah, uploaded humans and or yeah, put their brains in jars, because you've got to have brains in jars. Brains in jars. But they have not counted on humanity's tenacity and force of will and all of that other shit that Captain Kirk went on, on, on and on about. Hmm. Um, probably other people as well, but I just remember the, 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 the Kirk stuff. Um and and humans are fighting back from within the system. So it's basically Tron. To a degree, yeah. More brains and jazz, which is, of course, a bonus. But Well, yeah, Tron, but rather than being programs, they are brains in jars. So you're fighting back against the man, who at this point is defini- definitively not a man, or even human. Mm. But you're doing it by manipulating... Manipulating the system, I'm not sure what the end goal is. Maybe it's, well, presumably if you're a brain in a jar, the idea of getting back into your own body is going to be a bit tricky, but... Yeah, that stuff, something might have happened to it since. Or you know, maybe they repurposed the bodies to do other menial tasks while they're using the brains for something um, slightly more cerebral. See box snacking. Um, yeah. Or possibly it was just, well, that's where the bio stock for the forming reactors comes from. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Um, yeah, maybe that's how you get your your, your sexy new robot body. Mm. Indeed, maybe there I, there is some sort of underground or something where they they form up and decide to strike back at the alien overlords. Despite actually, the 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 whole thing would be kind of crazy. I mean, even you could you could even see it like a um, a post 
like human overthrow the the overlords kind of thing except well you can't get you, you know humans you know force of will courage etc um but there's no way we don't have long we don't have the technology to make humans to put brains back into so a significant chunk of your your um your population are now forklifts how do you deal with that? <laughs> mm. yeah. And maybe you know they were, they, and especially if they were instrumental in in, in organizing and, and resisting and doing stuff, it's like okay, like grand <laughs> grandma's a hovercraft now. How do we deal? <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, so that could be kind of like a oops, transhumanism. Kind of thing. Accidental transhumanism. You've now been bootstrapped into into transhumanism from the current day, Mm. and you don't really understand how a lot of it works. You're you're getting yeah. You're wrapping your brains around it, literally in some cases, but it is taking a lot of it's it's happened way too suddenly and not at all. in, In most cases, not voluntarily. Interesting. Mm, that would be kind of, that would be, and other nightmares would <laughs> definitely be covered by that. And the uh, mm. yeah, even actually running it as the as as the uh, almost be more interesting at running as the 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 aftermath of you know humanity's chased off the aliens. They've decided this franchise is clearly a bust, and these humans are just too much trouble. Um. So they've scarpered, and now they're left with humanity with these, you know, you know, a couple of unfathomably tall skyscraping buildings in random places around the world, something like a couple of spaceships and a you know a huge chunk of the population who are now cyborgs. Yeah, I mean, I guess the question is. Are the brains installed into the forklifts, or are they in these unfathomably tall brain storage facilities and just running things remotely? Because that gets even weirder. Yeah, it would indeed. I mean, I would probably go for the slightly more analog. You you have a forklift, you plug a, a brain into it, and it runs a forklift kind of thing. Um, but you, it could be actually quite quite trans- transportable, and you know, people start building <laughs> humaniform kind of things so they can. You know, sit in a forklift and drive the forklift as a robot rather than <laughs> driving a forklift as a forklift, which is just uncanny. Nice. Hmm. Yeah, it's... I, I can see the fun in both... Um, in both settings. I mean, for the... for the fighting back against the Excerebrators... Fantastic name, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Um... I could see you could have a lot of fun doing it as kind of the the interconnected heist kind of game mm. that you're playing very much a shell game with brains. I think the ship that Sang called the little containers for the intelligence is shells. So yeah, maybe. Huh. Yeah. Oh, nice. I th- well, some, something uh, like that did. So yeah, maybe it's literally a shell could game. Could be. Yeah. Um, yes, that you're moving. Because presumably the excerebrators are going to be keeping an eye on what's going on, but they're not going to be monitoring, as it were, all of the network traffic. Wow, mm. that was nerdy. Um, so part yeah. of the game, as it were, is going to be, all right, so we're going to do this thing, but we're going to need to set it up in a way so that it's not obvious which brains did it. Because you know your 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 influence potentially with wireless networking and everything or with, with the networks is is more or less global but you've still got that weak spot that if somebody comes and uh, tips the canister over you're done mm. also i think the, poss- the possibility is that the aliens rocked up went oh look humans love hier- hierarchies we'll do mindless stuff for minimal rewards we can just put like an electrode you know please enter look sorted not a problem this is this is you know these are the perfect candidate they don't they don't really they don't have a deep enough um 
understanding of psychology and humans and you know just haven't watched the office frequently enough to understand that everyone done this grudgingly because they don't see another way and that's how society works when the 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 aliens sort of rock up say hey this is pretty much the same deal but you don't get feet anymore um (laughs) it's like people go you there's something not just alien enough but something galling enough that humans are going to go right we really want, we really, and all, you know, there might be some, you know, some trans, maybe some misguided transhumanism elements or something. It was like, take me with you kind of characters that, that are, are actually buy into it. But, you know, others are like going, like, they could, they're doing the jobs, but they're doing, they're doing other things like, you know, the, 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 the forklifts are flashing the hazard lights and, and, and communicating that way. And while the jobs are getting done, the aliens assume, fine everything is perfect we are the incredibly clever overlords of this thing maybe these guys have fallen back on their technology to a degree and it's like they don't realize that you know they're they they are some of the quirks that they discount as being silly human human things as actually this fomenting revolt nice Quiet revolution occurring right under their alien, not even noses. Not even slightly noses, or mini noses, depending. Mm. Yeah, alien noses. Multiple aliens? No, just one. <laughs> so many noses. On tentacles. What's that about? How does that get fun? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and actually, I think the it would be kind of a it would kind of be kind of a downer too. Yes, we organized, you know, we stacked all the boxes in the perfect pattern to ex- to to cause this thing to happen. And we did all these other things that we communicated with all the other cells. We all, we overthrew the aliens. Rah! Now life is weird. Mm. The transition between the two the two scenarios would just be kind of harsh. It's like, woo, <laughs> we're the champions of the universe. Let's have a big party. What, what do we What do we do now, guys? What do you do? Uh, <laughs> like, do donuts. And on, on 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 the uh, <laughs> warehouse floors, what what do we? Like, yeah. so, suddenly, this suddenly seems less rewarding than I imagined when I was. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We thought this would be cooler. Mm. Uh, that's all right. Our next, yeah, our our, our children can live free. <laughs> How's that going to happen exactly? Did, did anybody? Um, you know, I can think sexy thoughts, but uh... yes. Mm. Indeed, that would be kind of crushing if, you know, it's like, uh, well, welcome to the planet of the forklifts. Yeah, so we're at the end of the human race. Uh, <laughs> that's the thing. Um, what do we do now? Uh, I'm going to assume they left, you know, they had got around to converting everyone in the universe to, to a brain in the jar, but yeah, but. I don't know, it'd be entertaining if it was, I mean, entertaining in a bad, but also funny way. If it was just the entire human race, so you've now got humanity that is is capable of travelling all over the solar system, and if they can figure it out, they can they can chase after the aliens and give them what for. But on the other hand, there are no actual biological humans left in t- anymore. Yeah, maybe the, the, their time is better spent doing something else. Sorry, the the other thing that my brain leapt horrifyingly to was um, Thomas the Tank Engine. What? <laughs> I don't know why. It's the, the cheerful music started on my head, like, oh, ooh, oh. <laughs> See, the trouble is, I'm now imagining the revolution against the robots, uh, the 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 accelerators, narrated by Ringo Starr. <laughs> that would be beautiful. It really would. Yeah. Nice. That went in very weird places. <laughs> yes, it did. I I was disappointed recently to hear you know the the whole story of Thomas the Tank Engine is weird and strange and often involves um, the the Reverend what's his name who wrote them laying down like serious children's literary smackdowns on unions and other things, <laughs> which is super creepy. It's like oh that engine's striking. Or, or doing something as an analog to humans striking and, and, and downing tools. Brick him up in the unused tunnel. 
shit. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I, mean, I remembered I, I remember the trucks being a bit Oh yeah. Yeah. A bit of a pack of dicks, but um oh, no, I, a, I hadn't realized we'd gone quite oh, that um one of the one of the um the, the uppity tractors gets um their wheels removed and used as a generator kind of thing. It's like Oh right. Yeah. So that could get quite Wow. It's like uh okay the you know the the, the people you know the, the controller and the the the, the brakeman and and so forth talk to these things like they are sapient sentient feeling creatures and occasionally they just do shit to them which is massively unethical and and cruel so it's like that's a that's a bad deal that's okay so thomas the ta- um Thomas the Tank Engine uh, and, and, and his tales from Plantation Era. Yeah, it is. It is kind of. Uh, it's the same sort of thing as when if you if you. Um, it's definitely looking at something from a from a different era or looking at it from a different perspective. I've seen things about you know the original Blade Runner, and you think about oh, yes, it's sci-fi and it's robots and it's. Wait a second. These are basically people with no rights being killed for being the wrong. Pl- Ooh, ooh, that's not good. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that, that's, that, that's a bit sus. Yeah, you're gonna be like, oh shit. <laughs> yeah, it's um, yeah, so, it's one of those things. If you think about it for any period of time whatsoever, it's just like. Yeah, I'd be kind of pissed if I was them too. Uh, gotta say. Um, yeah, and apparently Thomas Tank Engine introduced some um, some actual female characters who were like um, passenger cars or, or like good tro- uh, goods trolleys. There's more engines. They've just expanded the the, the roster of engines of, of steam engines, which is odd because the idea of new steam engines or the Soda Island being some sort of concentration camp for sentient locomotives. Um, <laughs> The implication is bad shit has been happening to them on the mainland, kind of thing. It's like, okay, also that's a bit of a that's a bit of a worry. I think they missed a trick though. They should have had like um, some untouchably sexy magley of train <laughs> passing by. It's like, oh, girls. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. That maybe says too much about my own <laughs> life. Sorry. It was, it was the phrase untouchably sexy maglev train. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I made I, I went and made it uncomfortable, didn't I? Oh well. Yeah, you you, you <laughs> made it weird. It's it's what we do. I mean it's it's our thing. Uh if if we if we've lost listeners as a result of that comment, I've gotta say what kept you around this long? Because <laughs> we've done well, worse. Well actually, well done. <laughs> Good on you. <laughs> well yeah. <laughs> you made it this far. Thank God, you got past Celestia's butt phrenologists in episode one. It's been downhill ever since, people. Indeed, indeed. And and if we can't find um, fan art of sexy Japanese bullet trains, um, I don't think we're trying hard enough. You are on sexy bullet train um, image duty. I'll attempt to do our listenership proud and not scar them too badly. The Dark World of Thomas the Tank Engine fanfiction awaits. <laughs> All right. This is a suggestion for the previous episode, Evil Sidekick Hangout, which comes to us from Ketamono and reads, Hits, Henching International Temporary Services. Tired of working for a psychotic supervillain? Need to leave town due to outstanding warrants. Want a new costume, codename, and or city? Lost your job due to the economic ta- downturn. Tired of waiting be- to be promoted to a number two spot? Hits may be the place for you. Benefits include medical, dental, and vision, 401k plan, set hourly wages with overtime, relocation funds, 24-hour law staff at your disposal, loans for bail during lean times. To apply, please visit our website. With some disclaimers... Hits can't guarantee the mental stability of its employer clients, but we will give you a new placement if possible. And we have lawyers based in 50 different countries who are well-versed in criminal and supervillain law. 
Uh, ben, do you want to do the, the, the follow-up bit of his explanation of the idea? Sure. Kinemono follows up with, It was fun. We would play a bunch of incompetent henchmen and lackeys trying to do a job for our boss, which invariably ran afoul of union rules. My character was a local union rep for the Benevolent Brotherhood of Minions, Lackeys, and Henchmen. Had to have at least a 15-minute break every two hours. This ranged from your typical robber bank, uh, uh, typical rob- bank robbery, to breaking into the lair of a now dead supervillain Michael Jackson, Neverland Ranch, for our boss Prince. We tended to mm. use the rules light stuff like Rhesus re- or PDQ. And yes, it was a friend of a uh, friend of Kitamono's who came up with hits. I'm not sure whether to mention their name on air, it's so I it. won't. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds pretty fun. It does sound fun. It does. (laughs) It is like paranoia, um, inspectors level goofery, but we are down with that level of goofery. We really are. Awesome. Hmm. Um, Playing the actual angle of incompetent jobs worth henchmen and sidekicks is definitely tempting. Mm. I, I mean, I also like the idea of playing them as entirely competent, but sticklers for union rules and yeah, always mm. interested in working conditions. Yeah. I mean, because if, if there's something that came out of the Despicable Me films, it is the fact that Gru is actually a pretty good employer of minions. Mm. Yeah. Treats them well, gets on with them, knows them by name. Yeah, a bit of a dick occasionally, but overall, a uh, pretty good employer. And I, I get the idea that that's not really the case with with all all of the supervillain employers out there. Yes. So, yeah, that would be... I, I do like the idea of this. Hmm. Uh, also, it doesn't mix up, yeah, from a GMing point of view, or from a player point of view, you can mix up the supervillain quite a lot um you could potentially sorry go ahead the fact that they're temps means that you can change things up huge amount by having the the one get defeated possibly because of the actions of effectless minions um then move on to a a different villain or um boss as they as they go it puts me in mind of the kim possible cartoon Mm. i can't remember whether they were ever sort of rent-a-minion-type outfits there, but there were various sort of rental lair setups that Dr. Draken used on occasions. Right. That, yeah, this this was just a thing. It was one of the lair rental places. So, yes, that I kind of like. It would be fun to put in, put in the occasional thing of, you know, you've got minions working for a psychotic supervillain, and then they realize that actually this guy's plan is even more psychotic than useful than, than usual. They're not down with it. But hey, we can just sabotage it from the inside. It's not as if the plan's going to work without us anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm not sure how you'd set it up as a... set it up as a GM... I do like the idea of the, the villain saying, ha, my minions will lay down their lives to make this plan happen. And sort of the minions looking back and forth. Uh, actually, no, we won't. That, that paragraph three of the, of, of the contract. No, no laying down of lives here. We're temps. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you, did, you didn't pay for the full package, dude. It's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, no, nobody here signed on for that sort of crap. You, 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 you want a high, yeah, you want a higher end operation than uh, than temporary services. Mm. Yeah, I'm sorry, your four o four o one k plan is not that good. Yes, the um, this my, yes, the whole the whole uh, my devoted minions will defeat you. Whistle goes, and they all kind of <laughs> gather around the, uh, the the coffee and donuts and sort of start chatting. <laughs> yep, just a minute. Yes. Yeah. No, no, please take your time. <laughs> yeah. Admittedly, I do like the, if you're going with an extremely cartoony approach, the idea that not only do the minions sort of clock off, so do the heroes' sidekicks and the hero and the 
So they've just been bashing the crap out of each other. The whistle blows. Everybody wanders off to where the coffee machine is and is chowing down on some donuts. Yes, like the Britons and the Asterix goes to um, England or Britain. Uh, mm. yeah, put down there where stop for tea. Ah, yes. Yeah, I like this. That would be fun. That would. I, I could not take this at all seriously, but I suspect that's the point. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Um, right. Do we have anything else? I just read a headline with flat earthers from around the world descend on New York City on... Nope. Carry NC. Where's NC? North Carolina. Right. Yep. Yep. Flat authors from around the world. But yep, that's that's forgettable. <laughs> I've got to assume that was deliberate. Probably, yes. Some, some, somebody had to have done that deliberately. Um, yes, I did see that article. <laughs> okay. Well, I think that's everything. And yep. accept a teaser for next episode. Indeed. Next episode. Um, international. The prompt being International Detective Dragons from Outer Space. Episode 100. Um, be our last episode for the year. Mm -hmm. So effectively our Christmas episode. Effectively our Christmas episode, yep. We'll, we'll, we'll try to rub some Yuletide cheer or something on it somewhere. Mm -hmm. And at this point, we, we're, we we can go to syndication and let, just let the residuals roll in. So expect a massive quality drop. <laughs> yep. Which I think you're all going to be impressed by because, come on, a massive quality drop starting from here. What's that even going to look like? Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be weird. To be fair, it'll just probably just, you know, loop around and come back the other side somehow oh the, the the quality will get so low it actually loops back around to being real awesome again hmm. okay Look forward to looking it. forward to that cool all right so we'll see everyone next time for international detective dragons from outer space bye now Want to hear more of our shenanigans? Then go to hoarde.net and click on the button that looks like a couch. The Big Red Couch is released under Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported from creativecommons.org. All music on the show comes from the album Universal Fluff Theory by Krakatoa. Visit them at krakatoa.com or follow the link from our page. See you next time!